Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's the end of spring break. How many went out of town on spring break? We dislike you intensely. (laughs) (laughs) My friend Pat here went down to Florida, drove back in the snow. It was 80 degrees there. We had snow here yesterday. But uh, hope is rising for the spring. Well, today we're going to look at Matthew's gospel. And we're going to look at the story today of Judas and of Peter. And you may think that's an unusual thing to back up in the story before the resurrection to look at Judas and to look at Peter. But I think when you see the title of the message today, When the Past Makes Faith Difficult, you'll understand why Peter and Judas are two great people for us to look at because they had a past. We all have a past. And sometimes the past makes faith difficult because we're holding on to things that we need to let go of. And I know that in this room, we're all, all of us to some degree are holding on to something from the past that's keeping us from embracing the new thing that God wants to do for us right now. So let's read the Word of God. Matthew chapter 26 and 27. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard And a servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while... Those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Seized with remorse. Have you ever been seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left and then he went away And he hanged himself. This is the reading of the word of God. And God's people did say, amen. So today we're going to talk about hope. And we're going to talk about the past. I love this statement that Martin Luther King Jr. once made. He said that we must must accept finite disappointments. But we must also embrace infinite hope. 
he says we must basically realize that disappointments are limited, but that hope is unlimited. But that's really, that's a lot easier said than it is done because life has a way of just literally kicking the hope out of us. So today, this is my hope, this is my dream, this is what I want for you. I prayed about this morning, I thought about this morning. For What I want is, this morning is I hope that all over the room today, some people are going to make some decisions to forgive what needs to be forgiven, to let go of what needs to be loosed, and to embrace the new thing that God has for you. The problem with a lot of us is that we are chained to the past. We are, we're looking the wrong way. We're looking to the past. And life is not in the past. Life is in the future. And that God is not a God of the past, but a God of hope and of resurrection. You know what I have here? This is a cedar chest. Can you see it? If you can't see it, stand. I want you to see it. This is a cedar chest. Now, many years ago, some people still do this today, but when a couple has a daughter, uh, they give the daughter a cedar chest. And what do they call it? You know, come on, help me now. They call it a hope chest. And so the hope chest represents all the hopes and dreams that the young woman will have for her life. Where she stores her hopes, what she dreams for, what she wants, and maybe someday she'll be married and she'll be able to use the things that she puts in the chest. So all kinds of things are put in the hope chest. You know, maybe nice linens, uh, maybe family heirlooms, maybe jewelry, maybe china, maybe silverware. Did it, was anybody in the room given a hope chest? Anybody? Some of you have them in your families. It's not as common today. But I love to tell you that all of us, in some way or another, we all have a hope chest. We, we have the things that we hope for, the things that we long for. Because we're just irrepressible hopers. Hope is just wired into us. From the moment we're born, we're born with a need for hope. Hope is why people go to college. Hope is why um, we get a gym membership. Oh, <laughs> you know, my wife gave me a piece of exercise equipment hoping that I'd have a chest someday. <laughs> Not really, I just made it up. It's kind of funny though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hope is why Dolly Mills buys season tickets to UK football. You know? <laughs> right? Hopeless, irrepressible hope. If this is the year, this will be the year, you know? But I want you to think about, in some ways, we're all the same, really, you know? We all have the same things that we hope for. Do you remember the first time that your heart ever beat for someone else? Not, not just the first time that your heart, you felt love for another person, but maybe the first time that someone felt love back for you. It was a special thing, you know. It was to feel loved and to know that someone loves you and that you're a part of someone's dreams and a part of someone's hopes. And I think that everybody, we all are the same. We have a hope chest and we hope for love and for relationships. And then 
You remember the first time you got one of these? This is my son's Taekwondo trophy. We got a lot of these in our basement. <laughs> but you remember the first time, you know, maybe you ran a track meet or maybe you were in a soccer match or, you know, maybe it was an academic debate, maybe Addy, maybe it was a dance competition, you get a little trophy. But you feel good about yourself because you achieved something. And you want to achieve that. You want your life to count for something. And you hope for all kinds of wonderful things in your life. And then, you know, maybe, maybe, not, not for everybody. Some people go to trade school. Some people go off because they have a dream for a career. They go off maybe to four-year university. They get, a, they get a diploma. And they have a career. I want to be an engineer. You know, I want to be a lawyer. You know, I, I, I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor. You don't want to be a caregiver. We have hopes and dreams about our career. And then we hope, we all hope, that we'll all be surrounded by a loving family, whether we're married or not. But we all want people that care about us and a family that loves us. And do you remember the first time you got one of these? It sounded good too, didn't it? You know, that we want to earn a living and, you know, we think if we just get enough, we'll have what we need. We'll have, we'll have a good, you know, a good life. Things to take care of ourselves. But I saved this one for last. Because I think it represents all our hopes. We want to live a long life. Because we know that life is limited. Right? And we want our time on this earth to count. We want to have friends. We want to have family. We want to be loved. We want to, I don't know anybody that doesn't want that. Don't we all want those same things? But you know what happens? Disappointments. You know, our heart gets broken. Or we don't measure up to someone else's expectations. Or we have a career, we can't find a job, we get fired. Or maybe we hurt someone else or we make a mistake. Everybody in this room, the reality is we've all hurt someone else, we've all made mistakes. And I bet every person in this room, there's something that you've done in your life that you're ashamed of and that embarrasses you. And what happens is with our hope box, with the things we hope for, we just, we just keep piling in the hope and we just, the hopeless things, we just keep collecting things. And I bet if you were to come up here and you were to open your box, we would see it was full of all kinds of things that you're holding on to. What are you holding on to? What part of your past makes it difficult to believe that your future can be better than the present. Now, I read, I read that story. I've always been fascinated with the, sto- the person of Judas and, and Peter and, and who they are. Uh, and you probably heard me read that story. You go, gosh, the scripture in it with, and Judas hanged himself. I mean, bummer, you know. Sad story, hard story to hear. But I love that story because both of them are in some ways a similar person. 
Betrayal and denial, they're the same thing, really. They're no different. Judas is no different than Peter. But they both responded to their circumstances very, very differently. What made Judas different from Peter is that Judas believed that his past was a permanent mark against him. He was seized with remorse. He thought that he had committed an act or done something that could not be forgiven. He didn't know that the Easter story is a three-day story. He was stuck in Saturday. You see, Easter is a three-day story, you know, death, burial, resurrection, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And he thought it ended on Saturday. He wasn't there for the resurrection because he missed the resurrection. He missed his resurrection too. And I've always wanted to preach a sermon on the story, the story of Judas. And I bet, I bet there's hardly anybody here who's ever heard a sermon, a whole sermon about Judas. I mean, we don't name our kids Judas, do we? Unless you want them to get beat up in school or something. But Judas. But I've often thought this to be true. What would have happened if Judas had waited to Sunday? I think I know what would have happened. Jesus would have went looking for Judas. He would have went searching for Judas. He would have found Judas. And his story would have ended differently. He would have learned that the past is not a permanent mark against me. And that no sin, no mistake, no failure, no disappointment can't be healed. Anything can be overturned. Because God is a God of life and hope and transformation. And he would have looked at Judas and said, Judas, I love you. You're forgiven. You're restored. You can be renewed. Come on and join me. And I think if Judas had waited, he'd been maybe the greatest of all the apostles because what a story. And today, as you had opened up your Bible, instead of hearing the story we heard, it would have been Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Judas. Now, I want to say this with a great sensitivity. There are a lot of people in this room have been impacted by suicide. And I just want to say and be careful with what I'm saying here to say that we don't understand the depth of despair. And Christians have handled the subject of suicide terribly. And I just want to tell you, I believe in the grace of God for all people. And God has special mercy on those who feel such depth and loss and grief. And I'll tell you what I believe, because I believe in the love of God, that God's love is bigger than all our sorrow and loss. And that when I go to heaven to be with Jesus I'm going to be able to see Judas with him. And there was an amazing conversation that took place between Jesus and Judas when Jesus ascended into heaven. But for whatever reason, Judas thought that because of what he had done, his hope was over. Into my story. But then Peter. Peter is the other example for us. He's a living example for what our life can be. Same mistake. Same mistakes that Judas made. He betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus. But the difference with with Peter was that he was around on the third day. He experienced the resurrection of Jesus, and so he experienced his resurrection. He experienced new life. What I love about Peter is that Peter had this sort of openness 
to share his hurts. He didn't have to hide his hurt. He didn't believe that anything in his life was so offensive that it would turn Jesus away. And so he was there. And so Jesus goes to him, searches him out, restores him, gives him new life, gives him new hope. And he says, do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. Do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Do you love me? Three times he for the three denials and forgives him, gives him. And we see it over and over again. Peter is always making mistakes. But Jesus is always forgiving his mistakes, always giving him hope, always giving him a new beginning and a fresh start. But the problem is that for so many of us, we live in a world that's so negative and so spiteful where we are led to believe that our past defines us. Let me tell you this morning, let me tell you with all the heart and all the hope that was in me, your past does not define your identity. Jesus Christ defines your identity. Your past is not a permanent mark against you. What you've done and the things that have happened to you are not a permanent stain on your life. Your divorce, your being fired, your failure, your financial reversal, all the things that have happened in your life are not permanent. Because with Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead, nothing ever is hopeless. We all, all of us, we all have setbacks. We all have failures. We all have enemies. We all make enemies of ourselves. We all struggle with illness and mental illness and depression and emptiness and defeat. But at some point, we have to ask ourselves, what do we believe about God? Do we believe that God's grace and mercy is bigger than our defeat? His grace and mercy is bigger than our emptiness. Oh, I love what Peter said. Peter, who was there, Peter, who experienced Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, wrote these words in 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I want to tell you this morning, I'm so excited to tell you this morning that Easter is not a story about what happens to you when you die. It's about what happens to you while you're still alive. You see, Mark Twain once said he had a friend who died when he was 30, but they didn't bury him till he was 60. Now, I may not have a, a paranormal gift, a gift, a paranormal gift, but when I walk around, I see dead people who die at 30 but not buried till they're 60. But the promise of the gospel is new birth, a new beginning. So at some point, you got to let go of the past. you got to forgive what needs to be forgiven. You need to let go of what needs to be loosed. Loosed. Set it free. And instead of living in the past, learn from the past. And allow God to direct you to the future. Because anyone, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Let me say it one more time. 
George, if I was in the church he was growing up in, you grew up in, the church would explode with those words. Everything old has passed away. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. All things. See, everything, everything has become new. There's nothing in your life that God can't redeem. For God works for the good in all things. He means all things. Does that mean my divorce? Yes. Does it mean my bankruptcy? Yes. <laughs> Does it mean my illness? Yes. Does it mean my depression? Yes. Does it mean my loss? Yes. All things can be made new. That's the gospel. Let me tell you a story. Matt Chandler is a preacher from Texas. Now, down in Texas, they don't preach nice sermons. And uh, I actually heard this. This actually happened to me once. Matt Chandler was 19 years old, and he was in college, and he was a young Christian. And sitting next to him in his college freshman class uh, was a woman who had had a lot of unhealthy relationships. She was older. was trying to make a fresh start in her life. And currently she was involved with someone who was married and just was unhappy. And he knew it, and he was reaching out to her, trying to make friendship with her, just trying to give her some kind of hope for her life. So he invited her to go to a Christian concert. And he had a friend that was in the band. And so they go to the concert, and it was a beautiful, beautiful concert, hope-filled and exciting. But he said what he didn't know was after the concert was over, I call this the old preacher bait and switch. Happy, joyful, then mean, old, ugly preacher gets up to talk. This happened to me. Old preacher gets up and uses the occasion to preach a sermon about sex. Matt's sitting there thinking, oh, this is not going to, what's going to happen? And he said if anybody could have mishandled the subject any worse than the way this minister handled the subject of sex, he couldn't have imagined anybody who handled it. It was condemning, it was hate-filled, it was judgmental, and he was thinking, if I was, you know, wonder what she's thinking, she just must be filled with shame. And he, it was just, it was a horrible sermon. And then, and then, and this really happens because, again, I've been at one of these things. The preacher holds up a rose. He says, I, I'm going to hand this rose to you, and I want everybody in this audience to touch this rose. Everyone handle this rose. Everyone smell this rose. So he goes on, continues to preach and condemn and preach and condemn. Finally, the rose makes its way back to the platform. And by that time, you can imagine what's happened to the rose. Most of the petals have fallen off. The stem is broken. And the preacher looks up and says, this is what, excuse me, this is horrible, but this is what a person is like that's been handled by too many. Damaged, the bloom has come off the rose. And he said, who would want this kind of rose. And Matt Chandler said, in that very moment, this was all he could do to keep from standing up and saying, Jesus would want that rose because Jesus was for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You're not too tarnished. You're not too broken. 
It doesn't matter how many petals have come off your rose. It doesn't matter if your stem has been broken. He wants that rose because that's the point of the gospel. The gospel is not a gospel of condemnation, but a gospel of grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope. <laughs> that's why when he was walking down the street, he saw Zacchaeus up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come on down off that tree. I'm going to your house for dinner today because everybody was important to Jesus. That's why when he met a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who had had a terrifically horrific past in relationships with men, gave her living water because everybody was important to Jesus. Because Jesus wants the rose. And that's why he told that story. The son takes the father's inheritance and goes off and squanders everything. And in the story, what do we see happen? The father is just looking down the road, waiting for the day when his son returns. And the day that his son returns, he doesn't scold him, he doesn't condemn him, he doesn't judge him. Instead, he runs down the road and throws his arms around his son. And when his son tries to say he's sorry, he says, it's okay, son. I'm just glad you came home because my son that was lost has been found. He's come home. And he throws a party. He kills the fatted cat. That's the radical grace of Jesus Christ. And so what does the world do? To that love? Jesus, they nailed him to a cross. They put him in a tomb. They wrapped him in burial clothes and shut the door. We're done with him. It's the past. But Easter's a three-day story. Past, present, future, death, burial, resurrection, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And this is what God says about the world and about our past. He says it's unlimited. We're not defined by our past. And Jesus walked out of the grave and left the old life behind. And left his grave clothes behind. And today he's actively at work seeking the lost to redeem us, to give us hope, to give us grace, and to give us mercy. And for that reason, if we'll just let it, hope can begin to rise in us. Let go of what needs to be loosed. Forgive what needs to be forgiven. And welcome that hope into your life.